And you may have heard of her. Um, she's becoming quite famous. But in these articles, I, I, I read where other women said of her that, that she helped them through the death of a parent. And she helped them as they were going through a job loss. And, and even that she helped them as they were going through a divorce. Now here's the thing about Stacy Griffith. She is a spin class leader at a place called Soul Cycle in New York City. Now, if you don't know what a spin class leader is, that, that's okay. Um, this is someone who uh, leads a class to do exercises on stationary bikes. And the, the place where Stacy does this, uh, Soul Cycle, um, it sees itself as a holistic healing place. So they don't just get together and exercise, though that's what they do. Um, they, they actually, uh, you, you go into this room, right, and there's all of these, these stationary bikes set up, and, and it's dark, it's candle lit, um, there is a woman at the front who is on a bicycle that will show them how to do the different exercises, and then Stacy walks around from bike to bike and just seeks to encourage the people that are in her class. But she has become a spiritual guru, I mean, that's, that's how the, the women who take her classes talk about her. In fact, she is so popular that she is the spin class leader of Oprah, of Kelly Ripa, of Chelsea Clinton. You have to, um, <clears throat> you have to, I mean, as soon as her classes go online, they sell out in, within minutes. And when these women were asked why she made such a difference, like what her message was, that they summed it up like this. She's always quick to tell you that you're awesome, that you're a rock star, that you're a warrior, that you can do this. And of course, my first reaction to this is, well, I think about the movie Nacho Libre, where, Nacho, <laughs> my wife's shaking her head, uh, where, where Nacho asks uh, his his friend Stephen, who he's trying to get to wrestle with him, he says, don't you want a taste of the glory? Don't you uh, 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 see what it tastes like? And, and this, is, this is what it sounds like to me, that this is, it's a, it's a way to, 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 to help people believe in themselves. But this message runs contrary to Christianity, Right? I mean, the, the message of our faith is not that we are awesome. It's actually that we're not awesome. But Jesus is. And the promise of Jesus is that he can change our lives through our faith and through our following him. This is bitter news to some people. This is why people reject Christianity because we don't want to admit our sinfulness. We don't want to admit our brokenness. But it's life-giving to others. And so friends, as, as we walk through the, the, the last temptation of Jesus, I want us to, to, to really focus in on how Satan tries to tempt him and how he responds once again with God's word, but the reality of worship and glory, right? These are, these are two words that we use often, um, especially in the church. Uh, I think sometimes we, we use them in ways that we don't understand their meaning, 
But when we talk about worship, what we're saying is, is to give something or, or, or to, 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 to show something it's worth. And so when we talk about Jesus worshiping the devil or Jesus not worshiping the devil, we're talking about Jesus' response to Satan wanting to be the most supreme being in the universe. And when we talk about glory, glory is a hard word to, to wrap our arms around, right? I mean, we... You understand something is glorious, right? Like the sun is glorious. It's bright, and it's, you know, you can't look at it for too long, or, or, or it, will, it will harm you. Uh, sunsets are glorious. Mountain ranges are glorious. Oceans are glorious. Sometimes music and, and movies and books, the way that they move us is glorious. The Hebrew word for glory has with it the idea of being exceptionally bright and exceptionally heavy. Something you can't look at and something you can't carry. And when we talk about the glory of God, we understand that we can't look him in the face in our sinful condition, right? And we can't carry him. He's, he's too big for that. But in his glorious love, God took on human flesh. He lived that perfectly obedient life that you and I could not live. He died the death that we deserved, and three days later, he came back to life. This is the glorious love of Jesus. So we start in verse 8 of Matthew chapter 4, where Matthew the evangelist is, is wrapping up his story. And he says again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. So to remind us of what we talked about over the last two weeks, um, or to help you if this is your, your, your first time, uh, when we're talking about the devil, as, as I tried to explain to the kids, uh, Satan was an angel um, who was jealous of the glory of God and wanted it for himself. And so he rebelled against God, and, and he was removed from heaven. And he has since then become an enemy of God and of man. And what Satan ultimately wants to do is he wants to keep those who do not know Jesus from knowing him. He wants to keep them from the gospel. And for believers, he wants to steal our joy. Right? He, can't, he can't take away our salvation, but he can take away our joy in Jesus. And so we're told that the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain. Um, in scripture, there is, there is some real good that comes from mountaintop experiences. There's also some real bad that comes from being on top of high mountains. Uh, the good experiences, two, two good examples, the Ten Commandments, Moses' communion with God, also the transfiguration when Jesus goes up with, with James and John and Peter and he is, is transformed in front of them. 
um, and, and of course the disciples don't know how to respond, but it's, it's a reminder of, of who Jesus is. Uh, but we also know that Israel, Israel had this issue, just like everyone around them, um, when they would fall into idol worship, oftentimes they would set up these places to worship idols on top of mountains. And, and that's one of the reasons, you know, one of the Psalms says that um, I look to the mountains, but where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. And, and the meaning behind that is not that, that God lives on a mountain because he doesn't, right? He, he, he is, God is, is in the heavens, right? And, and he does what he pleases. But what, what happens is, is that, that I, idol worship would happen on top of mountains too, and so Satan takes Jesus on top of this very high mountain. We're not told where it is. Um, and, and in fact, what happens, we're told that, that he sees all the kingdoms of the world in their glory, right? And if we can be honest, there's no mountain you could stand upon and see all the kingdoms of the world. I mean, you could stand on the highest of high mountains and you wouldn't be able to see all the kingdoms of the world. I think what's happening here is, is Satan is, is taking Jesus to this high place, this place where idol worship often happens. And then he's running his mind, and, and maybe it's like a little television screen in front of him, I don't know, uh, or maybe it's just through listing them all. But, but he's reminding him of all the kingdoms of the world, all of those that are known and unknown during the biblical times. Every tribe tongue, and nation. This is Jesus' creation that, he's, that Satan is walking through. This is Jesus' rightful possession. And of course, as we've seen from Revelation and, and from Philippians 2 and, and other places in Scripture, these things will come to Jesus after the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, and his return. But Satan shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Friends, the glory of kingdoms, it's, it's a mixture of good and sin. It's a mixture of, of hard work and arrogance. I mean, you think of, I mean, let's, let's just pick on America, right, since we're Americans. Um, one, of the, one of the parts of the American glory is the American dream. Right, that if you work hard enough, no matter where you come from, you can find success. Right? And, and there's great good in that, that, that we're not defined by who your parents are or what your skin color is. But there's also some things in the American dream that alienate God. Right? If you work hard enough, right? if you put the effort in, there's no reliance upon God and His grace. And so all of these, all the kingdoms of the world, both past, present, and even future, if the Lord tarries, they have this glory. And Satan presents these to Jesus. And in verse 9, Satan says to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now listen, friends, we believe that God is sovereign that there is, there's not a hair that falls from a head. There, there is not um, a, a flower that dies that God doesn't know about and that he's not working in and through. But even though God is sovereign, 
In all the kingdoms of the world, Satan holds temporary sway. Any government that does not point to the gospel is in some way following Satan. And friends, this is why our hope is in the church and not in government, right? Because we want to be explicit about the proclamation of the gospel. We want to be explicit in our following of Jesus, that it is through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that sinners find life. But since Satan holds temporary sway over these kingdoms, he tells Jesus, if you fall down and worship me, I will give these to you. And of course, what Satan is asking is for Jesus to call Satan the supreme being in the universe. And friends, this is where sin comes from, right? Not just from Satan, but we sin because at times in our life, we don't see God as the supreme being of the universe. It's either because we see ourselves as the supreme being, or we see whatever it is that we want as our supreme being. And Jesus responds with the strength of Scripture. You look at verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He tells Satan to leave. And friends, this is a reminder that the authority to tell Satan to be gone rests with God. And this is why scripture is so important in our lives. You need to know that Satan is just a, he is a small figure in the grand scheme of things. God is the one who is in complete control. God is the one who tells Satan what he can and cannot do. Friends, if you need encouragement in this, go back to Job. Job chapters 1 and 2, where where all of this calamity falls upon Job, but it's only done because God allows it. And of course, God is redeeming everything that happens to Job. And this is a reminder that God is, is not, he's not just a God of, of redemption. He is a God of power. He is the one who has the ultimate authority and the ultimate say with Satan. And of course, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. We read from that earlier. You know, it was a little bit different um, because th- th- that Hebrew word uh, for worship can, can also be Fear, and so, so that's why uh, most translations in the English will translate Deuteronomy 6.13 as, as you shall fear your Lord, whereas Jesus takes it here, you shall worship the Lord. But it has that, that same idea, that you are showing supreme worth to God. Friends, our worship and service goes to God And then it impacts how we love and serve others. Our worship and service go to God. And this impacts how we worship, or I'm sorry, how we love and serve others. The best way that I can explain this to you, right? Because 
<clears throat> when you think of worship as showing the worth of someone to them, um, you know, I, I want my wife to know how much I love her, right? And I try very hard. And gentlemen, I hope you did well a few days ago, right? I know it's a made-up Hallmark holiday, okay? But any time you have the excuse to let your wife know that you love her, that is a good thing. So if you messed up this year, we'll, we'll work towards next year, right? And wives, grace, right? Remember what Peter says, that, that love covers a multitude of sins, right? So don't, don't be elbowing him um, when we bring that up. But, but here's... here's Here's what we need to know, okay? I love my wife better when Jesus is the number one priority in my life. I am able to show her worth and love her and serve her better when I am in love and following Jesus. And the same thing goes to my job, the same thing goes to my children, When Jesus is the number one priority and influence in my life, I'm a better husband, I'm a better father, and I'm a better pastor. And oftentimes, we mix these things up. We make our spouses or our children or our jobs or, or, or anything else, we make them the number one priority. And it actually lessens the good and the influence and the, the ability to, 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 to really impact in those areas. It's lessened because we've fallen into idolatry. And so, Jesus reminds us from Deuteronomy that our worship and our service is to go to God first and then it will filter down and impact everyone else. Verse 11, we finish up with this. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Friends, the devil leaves because he's lost, right? He lost this attempt, attempting Jesus. He was not able to get Jesus to deny God. I think in, in some ways, um, I think Satan knew that the cards were against him, right? I mean, to try to tempt God in human flesh would, would be, uh, you have to really believe in yourself to think that you could win that, right? But I think ultimately the reason the temptation happens is, is because God, through Christ, wants to make right what happened to us. I think that, you know, you go back to Genesis 3 and you look at the temptation of Eve and, and the fact that Adam is there with her and he falls headlong into sin with her. This is Jesus responding to the temptation that our great-great-grandparents fell into in the garden and he's responding to it with scripture and with trust and with faithfulness all of those things that Adam and Eve couldn't respond with. And this is why Paul spends so much time, especially in the book of Romans, talking about how Jesus is the better Adam. He is the firstborn of those who will be saved. 
Whereas the firstborn of humanity brought sin into our lives, Jesus, as being the firstborn of those who will trust in God and be saved by grace, he gives us his obedience that we could not have on our own. So the devil leaves because he loses. The angels come. These angels, remember, they, they are, are God's messengers and his servants. Um, we can, you know, remember that, that mention at the beginning of, of, of Matthew 4 where we talked about how we use the idea from C.S. Lewis that, that we can oftentimes do two things with the devil, right? We either make too big of a deal about him and think that he's behind every bush, or we don't, don't believe in him at all, and both of those ideas are wrong. It's the same thing with angels, right? I mean, we can, we can be overly concerned with angels that they are, are <laughs> um, you know, that our guardian angel isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing. Uh, and then, of course, we can also not believe in them at all. And, and we have to sort of fall in the middle and realize that God uses angels to serve him and, and to, to act as messengers for him. But, but our ultimate hope is, is not in angels, right? Our ultimate hope is in Jesus. And, and, and the ultimate way that we know about Christ is not through angels or angelic messages. It's through his word. We know those things have happened, but that's not the focus of our faith. And so these angels come, and they minister to him, right? I'm sure one of the first things they did was bring him food. He's been in the desert for 40 days without anything to eat. Of course, appropriately, we would think it was probably a chili cheeseburger, right, that, 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 that he uh, received from the angels, but we, we don't know. But, but food and rest and encouragement or what the angels bring. So the question is, what, what do we do with this? How, how, do we, how do we nail down what we need to understand and, and really respond to this passage? Well, th I think there's a couple things that we need to learn from this. And, and the, the big one is this. God is the hero of the gospel. It is, it is God's glory and, and God's magnificence that, that drives creation. And it is his love and his grace and his justice that sends Jesus to live the perfectly obedient life. To be able to stand up to temptations from Satan. To die on the cross. Taking our sins upon himself and giving those that would believe his righteousness. And then three days later, the resurrection, the empty tomb, the fact that Jesus comes back to life. All of this points us to the realization that God is the hero of the gospel. And because of this, there are, there, there, there are three things that are attached. The first one is this, he gets the glory. All glory, all honor, all praise in our lives go to God because he is the one who works through his son and he is the one who works through his spirit and he is the one who deserves all of the credit. Attached to this is he gets the worship. Not only does he get the glory, but he gets the worship. Our lives should be responses to him. 
And worship is not just singing, right? When we talk about worshiping God, it's, it's what we've already said. It is showing him that he is the supreme being in the universe. And he already knows that, but he calls us to respond in that way. And the reason he does, and, and this is the, the next point, we reap the benefit. Friends, God created you to trust in Jesus. God created you to rejoice in his goodness. God created you to worship him. And so this idea of God getting the glory and getting the worship, for some of us, that, that's, you know, we're, we're still dealing with pride. And we don't want to hand that over to him. And so my encouragement to you would be, friend, realize your sinfulness and realize the goodness of the gospel. But for those of us that understand, for those of us that can see clearly, it is a joy to give God the glory. It is for the goodness of our hearts that we worship God. This is how we reap the benefit. So how does this apply to us? I want to give you three ways, uh, one individually, one at home, and then one in the community. Individually, the weight of perfection is off our shoulders. Just trust and obey. The weight of perfection is off of our shoulders. Just trust and obey. Friends, Jesus was the perfect one. He was the Messiah. He was the Christ. You don't have to live up to some expectation. His grace is sufficient for you. So friends, you trust in the gospel, you trust in God's goodness, you trust in, in the idea that he is going to, to bring about history as he wants it to be brought about, and you obey his words. And you're not going to do it perfectly, right? That's why we trust in his grace. It's why we lean on his mercy. At home, when God's the hero, grace and forgiveness can, fro can flow freely. When God's the hero, grace and forgiveness can flow freely. This reminds us that I am not the hero of my house and my wife is not the hero of, of our house. And how many houses in America flip that upside down? I don't know what I did, but I'm glad everybody's awake. Um, how many houses in America do we flip that upside down and, and, and the children become the hero of the household, right? Jesus is the hero of the house. And, and because of that, we can give grace to each other. Remember, grace is just getting something that you don't deserve. And so we can, we can show grace to our spouses. We can show grace to our children and to our grandchildren. We can show grace to our neighbors. We can be gracious and forgiving people, quick to respond with love and mercy. The final, the final place where we can apply this in the community, 
It's not about our fame or good name. We must be about Jesus and his business. It's not about our fame or good name. We must be about Jesus and his business. Now, let's just, let's just get something straight, right? Don't be a scoundrel and claim the name of Jesus, okay? That's, that's not what we're saying. Like, don't be known as the person who cuts corners with business deals. and, and th- th- No. What we're saying here is you don't have to live for your good name. Your, your responsibility is to work hard, be a good neighbor, be a good employee or employer, and represent Jesus. Talk about him. Find ways to include him in conversations. Pray for the people that you're around most often. Pray that you would have open doors to talk to them about Jesus. Pray that you would have opportunities to point them to the cross and resurrection. Live in a way where they'll say that you're a good person, right? Live in a way that, that, will, that will make people wanna, want to trust you. But make sure that they know that you're not living for your good name. You're living for the name of Jesus. I think this is how we make sure that we worship God in the way that he deserves. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this morning. We, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, for this opportunity uh, to, to focus in on your glory and, and your call on our lives and our hearts to worship you. Father, I, I pray that um, I pray that the message has been clear. God, if there's anything confusing or, or, or maybe even that, that would point, point these folks away from you, God, that you would, you would take them from our minds and, and help us to focus on the good news of Jesus. God, I pray that our hearts and our lives would, would, would be focused on and spent for your glory. Father, help us to see that we're not awesome. We need a Savior, and you have so lovingly provided it through your Son. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.